Oh, my gosh. Everything from Elon Omar to flesh-eating bacteria to Glenn Beck. Actually, the master of sports talk today. Right or wrong, Stu? Oh, you you ma- you've no, mastered all sports. No, no. You do know more about one particular thing in sports than I do. By yes, a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. I, I ran give you this. circles around Stu in sports today. Yes, sports talk for the first time in my life. I'm the expert. You don't want to miss it. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So, Stu. Uh, Glenn. <laughs> Stu, Stu. You know, I've, Stu. I've, I've spent many, many hours. Many hours. On these airwaves. Yes. Saying how much I hate social media. Right. And how worthless it is. Yeah, yes. It's worthless. I can't Would you say that it. today? Today is one of the days you that social media uh-huh. is worth quite a bit. Yeah, it appears. I, it, we cannot is, figure out. A, uh, we can't. We've been trying. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can you check this? Yes, we did. It's verified. All right. Mm-hmm. It's so good that we just have this feeling like it can't be true. But we've checked every way we know, uh, and it it passes all the verification tests that we know. Yeah. Look, it's too good to check. But we actually did check it. Yes, that's right. And so far, we take our own advice. I am at that point right now of saying, like, the only thing I have to believe that there, this might not be true, yeah, is that it's, it's just, just so good. Well, that's that's part of it, right? Okay. But it's also we, you know, uh-huh. I just don't understand how this person would not have deleted this before a couple of hours ago. Uh, arrogance. 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 Because I don't know, I guess that's... sloppiness and arrogance. Okay, sloppiness. Slop, sloppiness. You didn't see it because arrogance. But you would, would post would... it because you're so arrogant. In or you're just at that point kind of unknown. This is back from 2013. Yeah, I guess we're talking about Elon Omar. By Elon, the way, by the way, do we have the Elon Omar theme? Oh, we, I think this, this is, is good day this is it. this is actually theme worthy. Yes, it to certainly have is. Elon Omar. It's a happy way to tell the story. It really is. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. Okay, so we've been asking for a while, did Ilan Omar marry her brother? Now, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds Does ridiculous. It? Well... On the surface, it sounds like Don. He doesn't have a birth certificate. He wasn't married. He was. He was uh, not born in America. Well, here's the Hawaiian newspaper announcement from what 1961. Yeah. Well, that's not enough. Okay. Whatever. So it sounds a little ridiculous. However, the Minneapolis Star Tribune has looked into this. Several other journalists, including us, have looked into this. No one will pick this story up. No one will pick this story up in the national press. And there's a lot around this. But one of the more interesting claims is that she she married her brother. Now, the reason why she married her brother is because we think... She wanted him to go to school here in the United States uh, and uh, and get some, I don't know, family discount or what, whatever. Um, but the 
the interesting part of the story, which we'll explain, is there's all kinds of evidence online. There's pictures. We know how she got into the country. We know that her family was split. Her Half her family took one name. Uh, she took the Omar name, which is not her original name. Uh, she took the Omar name because she went in, which was very common for Somalis to do. They would come in as a family, even though they weren't a family. They'd get some some members of a family, this case, the Omars. And then the Omars would be in the refugee camp, and they'd be like, uh, yeah, this is our... Uh, this is our other daughter as well. That's how she came in. That's how she got the name Omar. That's not her real name. Okay. Now, <clears throat> her real name, I think, is Saeed, is it not? Um, it El, El, uh, El, El Nur Saeed, I think. El Nur Saeed is the, f- is the father. Abu Naur Saeed is the father. Okay. Got it. Got it? Oh, oh my gosh. Do I have it? Yeah, you have it. Okay. Got um, it. All right. So, <clears throat> Elmi Naur in- Saeed is the brother. Okay. So, <laughs> what? Yeah. Elmi was her, was Ilan's last name, we believe. Yeah, I think it's right. like President Xi. His right. name like is Xi Kim Jinping. Jong-un. Yeah, right. it's like, the reverse. Right. right. Kim is the last. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. No, no. Right. I, this is I, this is important. All right. No, it's important. It is important. And I, I, I'll get, I'll, you know what? I'll tell the story the right way here in just a second. Okay. So it'll take you all the way through it. But let me just give you the, just the, the great tweet that was found last night buried in all of her tweets. Uh, this one was posted six sixteen thirteen. So in two thousand thirteen, she wrote. Oh wait a minute, six sixteen. That's uh, that's a summer. Oh, that's around Father's Day. Hmm. So she wrote, "Happy Father's Day to my Abu Nawr Saeed. I am for- forever grateful to Allah for giving me the best father." Then she uh, links uh, to uh, an Instagram, an Instagram mm-hmm. uh, pic. Um, now, I here's don't... here's the problem. Her father's name is Nur Omar Mohammed, or is it? This is the person that we've been saying is her father, not Omar. But this is her father, the one she verified in her tweet in 2013 as being her dad. Now, if that's her dad, she's committed crimes, right? Uh, yeah, she's committed crimes. She's married her brother. Uh, and uh, all the stuff that she's talking about with her brother is uh, a lie. Oh, that's not my brother. That's not my brother. That's my husband. Mm. No, that is clearly your brother. If this is your dad, because we have pictures of you, your dad, and your brother and your sister together. What a weird thing that is. <laughs> we also have a we have evidence and we know for a fact that dad, sister, and brother all live together in England. We, we have pictures of that guy who lives in England being your husband. So 
We're not sure how to make this out any other way, Elon, other than you married your brother. This is such a stupid millennial mistake. Oh, this is crazy. You're in the middle of committing this crime. You're like, I got a tweet about it, though. I just love... That is the the typical dumb way this should unravel. Yeah, and what's amazing, here's what's amazing. You would think, well, she hadn't committed anything yet, okay? No, no, no. She married her brother in 2009. She got a divorce from her brother in 2011, and it's a legal marriage. What's weird is she was married to another guy in a faith marriage, and she got married in a Muslim faith marriage in 2002. They had two kids. Then they got a faith divorce. A month later, she has a legal Christian <laughs> marriage with her brother. And she's a big, hardcore Christian. Oh, big Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Ilan Omar is a big... You know, very... I mean, when, when you think Ilan Omar, you, you immediately think, what preacher do we call to get this <laughs> wedding done? <laughs> Don't you? And, and when the, I think the explanation here would be... Uh-huh. She had not really um, established herself in any public way where she would need to care about what she was right. tweeting, right? Like, no, right. the average person is not going to get in trouble for this Correct. when it comes to uh, a tweet. Like, you Correct. know, the, the, there's no immigration service going around, like, looking for tweets of, of this type, right? That's not a thing. Right. But when you become a representative, people start looking at your record and actually care about yeah. what you've done. And the fact, and the fact... That she was, she had a faith marriage with two kids. Then she gets a faith divorce. A month later, she gets a legal marriage, a Christian marriage to her brother. They honeymoon at college for four years. The minute he graduates from college, she separates from her brother, but doesn't divorce. She separates from him. Then she gets a new faith remarriage a couple of months later, literally like two months later, she remarries uh, in faith to her old husband. But then in 2014, she files a joint return with her husband and the faith marriage. Okay. Obviously. But she's married legally to her brother, but she hadn't gotten a divorce yet. Then the lies just spiral out of control. It's I, honestly, I, it's so confusing. Without looking at the chalkboard that you have here, it's almost impossible to understand. This is why, by the way, we did a big special on this. You can go to uh, YouTube and watch it. There's a Blaze TV special. Yeah, in fact, let's retweet that. Let's yeah. retweet those links out. But there are several. Uh, let's see if we can get the Blaze to put those up at the front too, so you can go. If you're a subscriber to the Blaze and you haven't seen this. There is a special that we did. We laid it all out, and it's super, super clear. Um, and when you see the facts, it's it's a, it's pretty open and shut. You know, we couldn't, we can't prove that she was the one that put this tweet out, but we can tell you that it's in the Wayback Machine. It was deleted what about two hours ago. Uh, we're going to we're going to talk yeah. to one of the guys who found it uh, coming up in in just a second, but this is this is her saying that's her father. If that's her father, then she's not an Omar. There's your first fraud. She came into America under under fraudulent terms. Her next fraud is marrying her brother for what reason? Oh, by the way. 
the kids, the ex-husband, and her new husband, her brother, were all living together at the same place (laughs) in the same house for four years. So I'm sure the kids understood that. You know, hey, I'm just going to have relations with my brother, your stepfather. Oh, well, don't don't worry about it, kids. I'll be back with your dad as soon as we finish school. Alan Omar. I want to talk to you a little bit about Dale. He's a he's a listener to the program. He was always a tough guy. You know, he worked years in construction. He was the kind of guy that would look at me and go, you're pathetic. You know, that kind of guy. He had stamina. He had strength. Everybody knew, you know, everybody knew him as the guy. Well, <clears throat> then he had back problems. You know why? Because he was working. That's why. That's how you get back problems. Well, I got it because I fell. But other people get back problems because they're working. And that's what he had. He had two back surgeries. Then he had to have soldier, uh, uh, a shoulder surgery, a knee replacement. Dale had lost what really Dale felt made, made him him. And I will tell you that it, with pain, I have had many, many mornings. And I'm just now at the point to where I'm not humiliated uh, by it. Um, but still feel super tender to my wife for putting up with it and and being so kind. I had many days where she would have to get up and button my shirts or she would have to uh, tie my shoes. Um, and there is nothing like being a man and standing in your closet not able to button your shirt and having to ask your wife to get up and help you. It is horrible. Especially a guy like me. I'm practically all chick. I can't even imagine what it was like for Dale. All right. Dale heard me talking about Relief Factor. Didn't have a lot of hope, but he decided to give it a try. Dale, I was with you. Within a couple of weeks, the pain was almost entirely gone. Relief Factor is a great way to reduce the inflammation that causes pain, and it works for 70% of those who try it. It's not a drug, and it's not a miracle, although it does seem like it. Doesn't fix all the problems, but man, it really reduces the pain, makes it totally livable. Some cases, it's gone. For nineteen ninety-five, you can get the three-week quick start. It worked for Dale. It worked for me. Get your get your quality of life back. In my case, and I bet Dale feels the same way. Get your life back. Want to be drug-free? Want to get out of pain? ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. We pause for 10 seconds. Station ID. Okay, so you know how this, this started? This started with Elon Omar being exposed on Somali Blogspot. Now, the Somali Blogspot is this this place where the Somali community in in, in Minnesota all kind of hang out, and they they you know share stories, and you know they're all Somalis. Well, uh, there was a story on Somali uh, Blogspot from Abdi Johnson. Now, it was a it was a post where he said that. Um, she has a marriage fraud and it's going to be exposed. And the user went on to explain how she uh, married her brother to help him get into the United States. And he 
lists the social media posts to back up his case. Local media did nothing. But then, all of a sudden, Abdi Johnson disappears, and all of that is deleted from the Somali blog spot. Why? Why was that deleted? Well, I contend, and this is just speculation, but I contend uh, there is there is a a mob like atmosphere in this community, uh, and if you speak out about the wrong things, you are silenced one way or another. This is not unusual, and it is not against Somalis. You know, the Germans had it. The uh, the Irish had it. The Italians had it. Every group has this mentality, especially when they don't speak the language, they're new to the country, there can be real control. I also contend that the reason why no one is looking into this is because Keith Ellison is the attorney general in Minnesota. Keith Ellison, what a surprise, is the guy who left Congress to become the attorney general so she could become a congresswoman. It's a nice little warm and cozy relationship. By the way, the woman she has now left her third husband, she now will be her third husband if she, wait, one, two, three, he would be her fourth husband. She's left her first husband twice and her brother once. Now she's dating a guy and wildly in love with. Um, she's dating a guy who used to be Keith Ellison's main, I don't even know, fundraiser? What would you call him, Stu? Because he wasn't really a fundraiser. He was, but he, but he was being paid like he was bringing in millions of dollars. Right. And she's paying him millions of dollars or uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point. Whatever he's doing, it's valuable. It's very that, valuable. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff that is really, really wrong with Elon Omar. The question is, will this discovery that just happened in the overnight... Of a tweet she posted in 2013, wishing the person we have been saying is her father, which links her marriage now to her brother, wishing her father by name a happy Father's Day and saying she's forever grateful to Allah for giving her the best father. Uh, I don't know. Seems pretty clear now, doesn't it? Anybody else want to look into this? New York Times, are you too busy deleting information? The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Uh, let me go to John Ziegler. Uh, John is a uh, senior columnist at Mediate. Uh, he, hosts, uh, he is the host of Individual One podcast. Um, he has written a great couple of stories now on this, this bombshell that ends up blowing up the New York Times on Brett Kavanaugh. Welcome to the program, John. How are you? Always good to be with you, Glenn. Yeah. So, um, uh, John, let's let's start with the Kavanaugh story that you wrote on Sunday. It was a fascinating story about 
you know, how much they really left out of this story. It's not just that the accuser uh, has no accusation because they don't remember any of it. It's well, who made this allegation. Yeah, well, it's actually, Glenn, uh, th- th- it is almost impossible to fully encapsulate all the problems with the New York Times story in one column. I mean, I'm being very literal about that. And I actually think that while the conservative media has done a really good job on some aspects of the story, there are obvious aspects, like the one you just mentioned, that they don't, didn't mention. Oh, by the way, the alleged victim of the second episode that is supposed to be this bombshell has no knowledge of this, and her friends say that they don't believe that it happened. They leave that out. That would be a big enough problem as it is. But I think we're missing something with regard to who the witness is. And it's not just political bias. This guy is a guy by the name of Max Steer. And when I read the uh, original article, I didn't know who Max Steer was. And it, it, it referred to him as a thought leader who, who works at a D.C. nonprofit. Now, you know I have a pretty, <laughs> you know, you know pretty good BS detector. Yeah. When I read that, I'm like, wow, That's I'm like at 11. The Patriot Act. <laughs> I'm at an 11 on who this guy is. Right. So who? So so who is this guy? Well, we we now learn that uh, he was one of Bill Clinton's defense attorneys during his impeachment, which would automatically show at least some bias. But I'm not even worried about the bias element or the potential political motivation. Let's go back to the Clinton impeachment. Who was on the other side of that battle? Ken Starr's primary deputy was Brett Kavanaugh. What was the alleg- one of the major allegations against Bill Clinton that led to that whole situation? Him exposing himself to Paula Jones, which started that lawsuit. Which be- I mean, so, so let's, let's go back to this, Glenn. Let's think about the absurdity of this. So, so Glenn Steer, in the midst of this incredibly intense impeachment battle, knows that his classmate from Yale... Brett Kavanaugh is a guy who he witnessed doing exactly the same thing that Bill Clinton is being accused of, and he never mentions this to anybody? (laughs) That is such an amazing piece of evidence. That is, that to me, when I read this from you um, yesterday, I, I thought to myself, that is the most damning piece of evidence on this article than anything else. And anything else, they didn't think that the guy who was coming after his client, Bill Clinton, he had witnessed that attorney had witnessed him do exactly the same thing as he was investigating on the president. And he wouldn't bring that up. He wouldn't expose that. Impossible. 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 Exactly. And and what's remarkable to me is that I'm the only one I know of that's really made a big deal out of this. Yeah. And it's and it's not because I'm any great shakes. It's I mean, I, as you guys know, I'm I'm very disoriented in this story because I'm actually defending somebody I like, and I might actually win on this one. That's very strange <laughs> for me. I mean, that, 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 that never happens. So, but but I I really honestly believe that the biggest problem here is that there's so many issues in the story. I mean, they 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 leave out their biggest bombshell. There is a bombshell. 
in this new book by these Times reporters who, who clearly now, as we're learning more, snuck this into the New York Times. This was snuck in on a weekend uh, in a story that was labeled something totally different about Yale's culture, uh, and they snuck these things in there that did not pass muster on the news side. But the biggest bombshell this book has isn't even in the article, which is that Leland Kaiser is now on the record for the first time. Leland Kaiser, Christine Ford's best friend at the time, who was allegedly at this party, mm -hmm. uh, which has no place and no date, no year even, uh, no way of getting home, no way of getting there, all sorts of problems. But uh, she is now on the record saying that it makes no sense to her, this story, and that she has no confidence in it, and that she was the victim of an intimidation campaign of Ford allies to try to get her to lie on her behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you don't have to go to journalism school to know that's an actual bombshell, and that's not even in the story. And it's not in the story because it doesn't fit the narrative that the New York Times and their liberal subscriber base wants. In fact, they would probably have gotten irate if the New York Times had given that the, the weight that it deserved because I believe it shows that Brett Kavanaugh is an innocent man, not someone who you can't prove this about. He's totally innocent and that the Ramirez story that this this Times piece was focused on is an urban legend. You want to know the closest thing I can come up with to this? Remember the Richard Gere gerbil story? Yeah. <laughs> That's what this is. This is the maybe somebody actually did have a gerbil removed from them in a the hospital sometime, uh, and then it somehow got attached to Richard Gere's name. Uh, well, well, Brett Kavanaugh was the most famous person to come out of that fraternity at Yale. Something happened to Deborah Ramirez. And many, many years later, when it became uh, politically feasible, it got attached to Brett Kavanaugh. And that's what happened here. It did not actually happen. There's zero evidence when there should be plenty that Brett Kavanaugh did anything to Deborah Ramirez. And I believe that the Ford story is a, a therapy-created memory where Ford was trying to save her marriage and came up with a reason for why she was a nut job and, and, uh, and used Brett Kavanaugh because he was also famous at the time. Well, and I she's a lefty and he she's a righty. I, I will tell you this. I think the this is the first time that you don't really have he said, she said in this particular case that they are running uh, on now and trying to impeach him today, trying to in, in, to get to Congress to go along to impeach him on this story. Um, they all jumped on it before they had any of these facts. All correct. these politicians, Ocasio-Cortez and yep. Kamala Harris, they yep. all just ran with it with no evidence at all. Correct. So they have this. But because of who made the allegation, the former Clinton attorney, now you have something where you can look at that and say, there's no way. There's no way this is true because he would have used it at that time. There's absolutely no way this is true. And 100 percent. But let's even go farther with that. He also doesn't do steer, doesn't do an interview with The New York Times. Now, now, what does that tell you? That tells you, if you know anything about uh, political operatives, that he took his shot when he thought there was a chance of Kavanaugh going down. Mm -hmm. And now that Kavanaugh is confirmed, he's like, I don't want anything to do with this because, because I don't even have a victim that backs me up on this. Uh, he, he, no, I'm, I, maybe, he, maybe his memory contrived something in the midst of the chaos. Who the hell knows? Uh, you know, that was a very strange time during the confirmation hearings. But clearly he has no confidence in his own story because if he did, he'd be 
wanting to tell everybody, and that he would be thrilled if the Times wanted to revisit this because the Senate, even the Senate Democrats, didn't take his story seriously. They they never they knew about it, mm-hmm. and they passed it off to the FBI. So, like, well, this is so John, I want to ask you now for an opinion as a guy who writes about the media. What the hell is happening? I mean, is there any sense at all from anyone in mainstream media? That it's like, okay, this has gone far enough. I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't, well, to answer your question, I don't think so yet. I wrote an interesting, I wrote a column, a second column about this today, which you can find on my Twitter feed, uh, Zygmunt Freud and at Mediate, uh, about why this happened. And I think you'll agree with this column when you get a chance to take a look at it, because it's, it's about the culture of the left-wing mainstream media. And you have uh, uh, swum in those waters, as have I, on numerous occasions. And, uh, and it is my opinion that there was no one in the room when these decisions were being made about this story who has the mindset of you know someone like you or someone like me or Stu who might go, uh, guys, uh, hold on a second here. Uh, you know, not everybody is already convinced that, that Brett Kavanaugh is a sexual predator. I mean, they, they, everybody in that room believes that. And so therefore, it does, there, there's not a lot of scrutiny on the alleged evidence that that's the case because they already know it to be true, even though it's not. And so there's nobody on the other side to go, hold on. And then there's a, the worst part of this, in my view, is the incredible amount of error. Arrogance. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who work at the Times are unbelievably arrogant. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, you know, God could tell them one of their stories is wrong, and all they would do is pass it off for a second fact check. Uh, I mean, they they really they 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 really do believe that if it's in the Times or if a Times reporter says it's true, that it must be true, and and that's no longer the case because. Frankly, you know, staffs have been cut. Uh, Fact-checking is no longer what it was. There's a rush to get stories out there. And, and this is the other element, they are now beholden to a liberal subscriber base and to nut jobs on Twitter who are effectively editing their newspaper. And I think that's why they left the Leland Kaiser quote out, because if they put that in there, they would have pissed off a whole lot of their liberal nut job subscriber base. And that's not the way you run a newspaper of record. That's that. It's just a business. That's all it is. All and right. their business model is appealing to liberals. All right. I've got about two minutes, but I can't let you go without saying, wow, how did you feel when Malcolm Gladwell uh, writes a book and a chapter is about Penn State and he uses most of your stuff and says, I think John Ziegler is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, considering the hell I've been through in the last seven years, other than the one day I spent with you guys talking about this story, uh, which was a reprieve, uh, I was a little bit shocked, to say the least, although I've been working on Malcolm for quite a while. Uh, I've done an interview with him. I feel people will check out uh, from my, my World According to Zig podcast. You can also find that at the top of my Twitter feed. I hope people will take a look at it. Uh, if we Ten years ago, Glenn, I believe that Malcolm Gladwell, looking at the Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case, and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Take a look at what John Ziegler has done, would have potentially changed the world. We don't live in that media climate anymore. No, we don't. Uh, much like Much like with Brett Kavanaugh. And the, by the way, the, the Kavanaugh story and the Penn State story are remarkably similar in many, many ways. And the, and the bottom line is neither of them are true, and there's no evidence to suggest they're true. It's all about politics. And I hope people will take another look. Uh, I was gratified, but I'm also a realist, you know, Glenn. And so uh, 
uh, no, you're not. You're a you are a bigger pessimist than I am. (laughs) You're not a realist. You're like everybody is bad. Everything is against everything. We're all going to die. If you would live my life on this Penn State thing, you'd be agree with me, Glad, I can assure you. But I was glad to get some sense of vindication. It might extend my marriage for another couple of years. <laughs> John Ziegler, uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Zygmunt Freud. Uh, Zygmunt Freud is uh, that. You can find him on the Individual One podcast uh, and read him uh, at Mediate. Well worth listening to, well worth uh, considering uh, John Ziegler's opinion on many things. Yeah, I listened to that podcast, by the way, with Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, he was unequivocal. Yeah. Like, I, 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 he said, I think it was something like, I am ashamed to live in a world in which ha- these people went to prison. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's, I, he was, I think that's, yeah. uh, that's real good vindication yeah. for John Ziegler. Yeah. John, thank you very much. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Yeah. From the frozen tundra. Or something like that. For the very first time, Glenn Beck runs circles around Stubrigier, a Canadian sports legend. That's true. That part is true. I'm not Canadian, but I am a, a sports legend in Canada, to be clear. For fact checkers out there, I don't want media matters all over me. Should we talk about the Browns? Let's talk about the Browns. In fact, yeah. let's talk about let's talk about Beckham and the Browns. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, his full name, uh, o- Odell Beckham. Junior, yes. Mm-hmm. Jo- junior, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, I didn't need to think. I needed to say that. His nickname, of course. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into okay. all of those. Okay, okay. okay. let's mm-hmm. let's talk mm-hmm. the facts here. Sure. Um, why are you reading? What? No, I'm just curious why you're reading in the middle of the I know sports so well. I'm going to run circles. Well, I just have a, I just have a couple of notes here. Oh, okay. For instance, what was he wearing, uh, Stu, uh, when he <laughs> took the field? <laughs> you are cut it out. <laughs> oh yeah. no! Yes, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. I am going to run oh, no. circles around you. This is the one sports time. talk. Mm-hmm. Odell Beckham Jr., of course, yeah. wide receiver, Cleveland Browns was uh, there was a little controversy around him as he was wearing. A very expensive watch. Yes. On the field. Yes. And now Glenn is going to run circles around me with watch talk. Yes. Is what I'm, yes. <laughs> is what I'm yes. predicting. Well, have you heard what? Okay, so last week, uh-huh. you you know that he uh, he wore a uh, Richard Mill watch, which is was about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I had heard three hundred and fifty. May know. have been three hundred. A lot of money. It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. This week. He wore another Richard Mill watch. Now, these watches uh, are absolutely um, uh, phenomenal. Uh, they are um, uh, Turbians, which is a, a, a it's not even, it, they're so crazy, they're not even needed anymore, okay? Okay. They were made originally for pocket watches. Because a pocket watch, the center of gravity would always be at six. You'd put it in your 
your pocket mm-hmm. and it would sit that way and you'd pull it out and the six would be you know going down to earth so the gravity right okay so a torbillion had to make sure that uh it was you could rotate it any way that you wanted and it made the gravity thing go away so the okay. inner workings of the watch it are made particularly it rare particularly expensive and rare mm-hmm. okay and it makes it so it is the most accurate timepiece okay okay it keeps that it's a, the, the the machinery in it if you will it it's in a cage and it swivels no matter how you move it all right mm. so it's crazy seems amazing and they usually start at about $150,000 what he wore uh, was this yesterday, yesterday or the day before. Uh, he, last night. Last mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. What he wore on the field last night was a $2.2 million watch. What? $2.2 million. It is a uh, Richard Mill 5602. It is a Torbean. Uh, it, is, it is completely transparent. Now, the, his watches are known to be, um, I, I believe they're, they may all be made out of carbon. Uh, they are, you, you can't even feel them on your, wrist, on your wrist. They are so incredibly light, but they're big. This one is made out of a solid piece of sapphire that they have to hollow out. They hollow it out. It takes them 450 hours to hollow out the sapphire. It's all glass. Then they take another 350 hours to polish it perfectly clear. Then they take a a 0.3 millimeter cable, like a cable on a bridge. They take this cable and they attach it at the 12, the 9, the 3, and the 6 position and they suspend the gear inside the watch. So it's floating inside the watch. Okay? This is a lot of work to this get the is time. A lot of work. My phone just it's on it gives there. Gives you the, the time. time, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything different but tell you the time. Right. Okay? It is the hardest surface ever. It's they say it's impossible to scratch unless you're using a diamond cutter. Okay? So that's what he took. There's only, by the way, there's a, a total of 10 of these that were made. 10 in the world? In the world. And he's wearing one in the middle of a football game. 10. Unbelievable. My guess is he's not buying these. My guess is he doesn't own those. Oh, really? That's my guess. I could be wrong. Ah, so it's like I, a marketing thing? Like yeah, they're paying yeah. him to wear them. Yes. Richard Mill is a big mm. sports fan. He's a big auto racing fan, uh, and so mm. he he likes the he likes his watch being seen in sports. He gives them sometimes to elite tennis players in exchange for advertising. I think this is an advertising campaign that uh, Beckham is doing. And they're obviously all they have to do is pay him more than the fines, right? I mean, for it to be smart for him to do it. Oh, do you have a fine if you're wearing You're not supposed to be wearing... Wait, wait. This is your sports segment where you know everything about sports. Remember you, why were you I asking I was me? asking you rhetorically. Oh, okay. Yes, there's a fine. You're not supposed to be wearing uh, foreign uh, hard objects uh, during the game, which could be wind up being a, an so issue. So why, why is he getting away with this without being fined? I, 
I've never seen anybody wear a watch. Especially one like the first one he was wearing was huge. I mean, it was like yeah. noticeably well, they're very, big. They, yeah. They're very hard, mm-hmm. but they are very light. I mean, he would not, it would not throw you off at all. You would, you, that's the one thing about these watches. You, you don't even know you're wearing it. It is, I've seen them one time. I've been to a store that carried them. And I said, I got I to try it on. And the guy was like, okay, don't let anybody see this. And I tried it on, and it's an amazing feeling watch because it looks so big, and yet it's so heavy. Right. I mean, it's, it's so light um, that it's phenomenal. So he, it wouldn't affect him playing at all. But I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't be wearing it out there. But I think, <laughs> no. I think Richard Mill would want it out there because everyone's talking about his, everyone's his talking watch about now, it. right? Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't think they find him yet. They are, uh, they're saying as of right now, he's not being fined. We'll see if uh, if he continues to push it, how how long that works. So, so he's not he's he can't wear anything for advertising. If he was given these watches, could would he be? Would that be advertising? I mean, it's not advertising if it's a watch, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the fact that they're, the fact that you're talking about it, right, is a, it's a guerrilla campaign, yeah. right? So I yeah. don't think it would necessarily fall under yeah. that unless there was an obvious arrangement that came to light. Yeah, I think it's somebody's got to figure it out. Though. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Unless he purchased them, then you're just dumb as a box of rocks right. for wearing it. Yeah. You know, hey, I got a two and a half million dollar watch on my arm. A 300 pound guy's about to stick his helmet onto your two million dollar watch. Except it does say something. This is why this one really stuck out to me. Because why would you wear a glass watch? Well, if it's the sapphire that took a thousand hours <laughs> just to make the sapphire, a thousand hours oh just to make the sapphire. Uh, and it's the hardest uh, surface they say in the world. That's what what better than having, you know, a three hundred and fifty pound monster come after you and not hurt the watch or scratch it. It's a good commercial. It's a great commercial. Mm. All right, sorry to That's make you feel stupid. Talk. Yeah, no, I you definitely. Yeah. I would have not have known any of those things if pretty not for amazing. The I mean, yeah. I hear people talk about it all the time. They're like, well, "Did you see this watch? No, no, no. Look those watches up." The, the, I'm a fan of the watch world. Um, you didn't want to talk about his 89-yard touchdown catch? Or well, maybe we'll do that next time. Oh, We're going to okay. leave it here. Right. Mm-hmm. Put it down on the field, and we'll pick it up later. The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.